Well, hello, church. I'm so pleased that you're with us as we worship the Lord together. Uh, I'm also pleased that you're staying safe and quarantining and that God has protected our church family. We continue to pray for the world in this terrible disease, that God will remove this disease within his perfect will. Uh, and we are going to continue to strive to get closer to Jesus Christ in everything that we do. And so we're going to begin today a new three-part sermon series on understanding the Holy Spirit. So let's open with a prayer. Father, we thank you for the blessings in our life. I thank you that you have protected our church, Lord. We reach out and ask you to continue to touch those in the world who will be drawn closer to you, even during this terrible period of time. Father, we ask you now that the words that you have for us are inspired by the Holy Spirit and speak to our heart today. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so understanding the Holy Spirit, I'm amazed when I drill down on this subject and talk to people uh, as to how many people really don't have a good understanding about the Holy Spirit. You know, some of them will think of the Holy Spirit as, as almost a, a, an ether type thing, a wind, but the Bible makes it pretty clear the, the uh, Holy Spirit is a personage, a personage, meaning just as much a personage as Jesus Christ did and as, and as God the Father is. And so what an amazing thing God has done to this world through the Holy Spirit. You see, he has changed the covenant from the old covenant with the Jewish people in which there had to be animal sacrifice in order to get a relationship with God. God has changed that. Once and for all, Jesus would be our perfect sacrifice. Jesus would be our once and eternal high priest and when Jesus left this world, God would continue the presence of Jesus and the presence of God in this world through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so what an amazing thing that is, and that as believers would come to accept Jesus Christ, they would be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and not only would they be sealed, but there would be the Spirit remaining in their hearts to guide them, to protect them, to lead them and convict them. Uh, and so all of this becomes very important to us as we understand really what God's will is for us through the Holy Spirit. And so to understand the Holy Spirit, you have to begin to understand the Trinity. Uh, and and that, that's a doctrine that if you look the word up Trinity in Scripture, you will not find the word Trinity. But over and over throughout the entire Bible, you will see evidence of the fact that there are three separate aspects to God, three separate personages. I like to think of it really as a water can be in three different forms. It can be ice, it can be liquid, and it can be vapor. It's all still water just appearing in various forms. And for me, that's the best way that I can understand the Holy Spirit. It's, it was evident right in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, uh, in verse 26, where God, who is about to create man, says, let us make man in our likeness. Let us. Uh, and what's interesting there is uh, that he's speaking to others, and the others really are Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So that's pretty clear, that right from the beginning that God was a three-part personage. Um, and, and, uh, and so that within that three parts, each of them are equal. There is no greater superiority one to the other. The other, each, each works together. 
uh, God the Father uh, indicated that Jesus would be the sacrifice to this world, would come and present his word to this world. He would be the method of salvation in this world. And when he left this world, uh, God the Holy Spirit would seal us and lead us to righteousness. Uh, and so this becomes important to understand that. And if you would turn in your Bibles, and I'm going to give your Bibles a workout today. So I'm warning you, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Um, and this, uh, speaking of Jesus, says as follows, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of the deity, meaning the Trinity, all the fullness of that deity lives in Christ Jesus. And so clearly the Bible tells us that there is one God, and that's for sure. There is one God in three parts. Uh, but the, every time that that's mentioned uh, in the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish word that's used is a word called ishad, E-C-H-A-D, which means uh, composite unity, composite unity. And the best explanation of that composite unity uh, is found in Genesis 2, verse 24, when it's speaking of man and woman being combined as one flesh through marriage. That's the word there, ishad, ishad, uh, meaning composite, two, becoming one. Uh, and so effectively, three different persons or personages uh, are God, the Father, the Son, uh, and the Holy Spirit. All have the essential characteristics of a person. And personhood is traditionally understood as intellect, uh, feelings, and will. And all three of these characteristics are attributed to all three members of the Trinity. Now, the Father is God the Father. Jesus said in John 6, verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, the God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So there you have it. The Son speaking of the Father. Uh, and so the Son is also God. Uh, that Christ affirmed in many passages throughout scriptures, both directly and indirectly. Uh, in John 17, verse 5, uh, Jesus prayed as follows, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Well, couldn't be more clear than that. And Jesus is, is praying to God the Father, Glorify me again, Lord with the same glory that I had with you before this world began. Uh, and so that becomes important. Jesus also uh, spoke of himself uh, many times in words that came right out of the Old Testament that related to Jehovah, words such as bridegroom, uh, uh, and uh, which was identified with Jehovah uh, in Isaiah 62, verse 5. Uh, perhaps the strongest claim uh, made uh, to be God uh, is found in John chapter 8, verse 58, where Jesus says uh, to the Pharisees, quote, before Abraham was born, I am. Now that is an amazing statement for two things. First of all, it states that Jesus existed before Abraham was created. And secondly, it uses the words, I am. And any Jew that heard anybody use those words, I am, knew that, that those words came out of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses turns to God on the mountain and says, who shall I say sent me? And God looks at him and says, say 
I am that I am. These powerful words. Uh, frankly, I can still see the movie Ten Commandments in Charlton Heston hearing that. Uh, it'll never get old for me. Never get old for me. Uh, and so all of this comes to underscore the fact that, that clearly we know that the first two parts of the Trinity are clear. God the Father, God the Son. Uh, in summary, the deity of the Son is displayed throughout Scripture. He is the creator uh, of this world. He, is, he will judge all people. He sends forth the Holy Spirit. He is identified with the Alpha and the Omega uh, and the equivalent of the first and the last. And you can see that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 and verses 17 to 18. And so now the Holy Spirit is also a member of the Trinity uh, and is a personal entity. And I want you to understand that. Uh, so many Christians don't understand that. The, the Holy Spirit is a personal entity. And we're going to focus on some of those personal attributes that, that we can be aware of in the best way that we can, even though it's difficult to understand really God himself. But first of all, uh, he has intelligence. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, 10 to 13. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual works. There it is. And you understand there that the spirit has intelligence. Intelligence meaning that it understands the will of God that it translates the will of God to you, that as the Spirit resides in your heart, the Spirit translates effectively what's going on in your life. And effectively, we know this uh, in multiple scriptural passages. Uh, it also, the scripture also has feelings. Turn to uh, Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. We'll start with verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does that mean? It means that if our life is not in accord with the will of God, even though we call ourselves Christians, even though we are saved, that we are grieving the Holy Spirit. That relates to unwholesome talk, unwholesome living. Uh, and you can imagine that, that you have God living within you uh, and you are grieving that spirit, making that spirit unhappy uh, because it's not in accord with how you were saved. Uh, and so there effectively are feelings from the Holy Spirit and intelligence. 
And then finally, there is a will of the Holy Spirit. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, and verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. And that those elements are the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, and effectively the Holy Spirit determines which one of those gifts and fruits you're going to get, uh, and it's, it's determined basically uh, by his will. And so it's important to see that aspect of, of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit also prays for us. Not only does he prays for us, but he leads us in prayer, effectively telling us who to pray for, how to pray, uh, and what are the parameters of that prayer. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not have, effectively, we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. Um, and, and so clearly uh, in these verses, uh, we understand that God is giving us patience through the Holy Spirit. We also know that, that God uh, uses the Holy Spirit to perform miracles. If you would turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 39, this is a, uh, a famous passage. Uh, and in this passage, uh, Philip, the evangelist, is told to go out to a certain spot and he will meet the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, Philip goes out there and, and uh, when he sees the, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, he walks up to him uh, and begins to explain uh, the scriptures about Jesus Christ, about how he will go silently to his death. And, and the eunuch is absolutely uh, convicted of this uh, and asked to be baptized. And at the moment that he's baptized, uh, uh, his, his, his life changes forever. And this is because of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you look at Acts chapter 8, verse 29, it says that the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Imagine that. Go to that chariot and stay near it. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And it works that way in our lives today. You will be convicted to do something, to speak to somebody, to go someplace, to make a visit. Uh, and I would assure you that if you have that impression as a Christian, you need to obey, uh, obey the Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit also uh, has a major role in distributing the spiritual gifts. Now, we talked about that a little bit before, but turn again, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 11. Actually, we'll start, we'll start with verse 7 because you'll get a sense of, of the kind of, of uh, uh, gifts that are involved here through the Holy Spirit. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Let's understand that. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit through you is giving you a gift for the common good, meaning the good of the church to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and the Holy Spirit decides that. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. Uh, 
and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Wow, what a major role for the Holy Spirit as you see this. And so even as Jesus has left this world, the Holy Spirit comes into this world and effectively now presents the truth of Jesus and gives us the spiritual gifts to continue the work of Jesus and resides in our heart and leads us and teaches us every day uh, in every aspect about Jesus Christ. Uh, now, it's also, you need to understand that the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit is God himself. Uh, and you can see this in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. And this involves Ananias and Sapphira. And you know this story where in the early church, everyone would sell their goods and bring the money in uh, to a common pool and would be divided up amongst those who needed it and who needed to have more and didn't get it for their support. And so Ananias and Sapphira sold some land, but they decided they wouldn't bring it all in. They'd keep back some for themselves. And so in accordance with this, when they presented the, the money to the church, they lied. They lied. And, and here's how that lie is characterized. Uh, and verse 3, Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you receive for that land? I want you to understand that. When you're lying to God in this world, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Wow, you've lied to God. Uh, and so you understand that. That's clearly uh, the Holy Spirit uh, and his role. And so now understand the differentiation of the Holy Spirit between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. People will say to me, uh, well, did the Holy Spirit evidence itself in the Old Testament? And the answer is yes, but it only was evidenced periodically and it was only evidenced upon certain leadership, uh, meaning people like Moses, people like David, even people like Saul, uh, when they were invested with leadership, uh, had the Spirit of God descend upon them. But here's the thing, it was a temporary thing and it could be removed if those people did not act in accordance with the will of God. And we know that the Spirit of God departed from Saul. And David learned that lesson well. He was very clear about that lesson. And so he constantly prayed. You see that in the Psalms. Lord, let not your spirit uh, leave me. Stay with me. Uh, and so it's important to understand that. That cannot happen in the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, when you come as a believer to Jesus Christ and you accept Christ at that moment, you are sealed. God seals you and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning the Spirit of God takes up residence in your heart and you are sealed and that seal stays with you forever. Uh, we will also talk about this in another sermon when I, when I teach you about eternal security. I'm not gonna do that today, but just I will mention it, that once you're saved, once you're in the hand of God, no power, no principality can ever take you out of his hand. If you are truly saved. And that's not head salvation, that's heart salvation. 
And so the Holy Spirit, when you see it through the new covenant, when you see it, you understand effectively that, that uh, it has an active role in salvation. Meaning what? Well, what it means is that, first of all, it's indispensable to anyone who is saved. You are not going to get saved, not going to be saved unless the Holy Spirit touches you and prepares your heart to hear the message of salvation. And so there's a pre-conversion work of the Holy Spirit, a conversion work, and then a post-conversion work. The pre-conversion work of the Holy Spirit uh, takes place prior to anyone putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, And effectively, it sets the conditions uh, for allowing someone's faith response to the gospel. Uh, And you can see this if you look at John chapter 16. And Jesus speaks much about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, uh, beginning with verse 8. When he comes, meaning the Holy Spirit, this is Jesus speaking now, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. There it is. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and convicts us of righteousness, points the way to Jesus. We look at Jesus and we see the example there of Jesus in our lives and and understanding that Satan is the prince of this world. All of that takes place through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the Holy Spirit speaks to individuals through the preaching of the gospel. This is how, effectively, this is how we come to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Turn, if you would, to Thessalonians chapter 1. Chapter 1, Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, beginning with verse 5. We'll we'll start with 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake, with deep conviction. So there you see it. That's the essence of the Holy Spirit, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And so even the faith that you have to believe in God was given you by God. That was a gift. So you can't take any credit for any part of this aspect of coming to faith. It's all from God, all in his gift, and clearly being guided by the Holy Spirit. Now that's the pre-conversion aspect of the Holy Spirit. There's a conversion aspect of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, And the conversion work of the Holy Spirit Uh, is defined as the impartation of a new life. Uh, And that is a washing of our hearts and a new life accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Uh, You can see this if you would turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of, by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Uh, pretty powerful set of verses there. You see that. You're saved because you came to believe in Jesus Christ. And then the washing of your heart, the washing of your life takes place by the Holy Spirit. And the renewal of your life takes place uh, by the Holy Spirit, uh, who continues to justify your life and teaching you and washing you every day, day by day by day. So we have to understand that. When you come to faith with Christ, you are effectively saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you are baptized into the body of Christ. That baptism takes place through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and so it becomes important. You can see this also in Acts chapter 2. This is that great passage where Peter is speaking uh, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and more than 3,000 people will come to faith on that day. More than 3,000 people. And look at Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 38, as Peter gives this incredible servant, uh, sermon. Uh, and, and look at verse 37, after he gives this great sermon, indicting them for the murder of Jesus Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, why do you think they were cut to the heart? If Peter spoke the day before, would they have been cut to the heart? I presume to tell you no, they would not. But because of Pentecost and the downpouring of the Holy Spirit to this world, now the Holy Spirit was in place in this world and affecting people's lives. They were cut to the heart by the message, by the Holy Spirit, and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Understand, repent and be baptized. That baptism there is not the water baptism. That baptism there is receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, effectively baptizing us, uh, with the Spirit of God and attaching us to the body of God. Uh, and so God, Christ becomes the head of the body. We then, as believers, are baptized by the Holy Spirit into that body. One body, one body. Uh, and, and that becomes clear as well. Uh, if you turn to 1 Corinthians, uh, you'll be able to... I told you I was going to give your Bibles a workout. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Uh, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. So there you are, one body, one body made to stay within the body according to the will of God. And so believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. They are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, sealing uh, evidences ownership. When you put a seal on something, whatever it is, certainly during these periods of times, it was a seal that indicated you own that particular uh, possession. Uh, and so this, now we get to see the post-conversion work of the Holy Spirit. And the post-conversion 
work effectively is the filling, the empowering, the teaching, and guiding of the believer uh, in this world following conversion. And we are expected to be refilled multiple times. Meaning what? You are sealed once with the Holy Spirit. But God wants you to continue to ask for a refilling, to continue to ask to have, I call it the pilot light of our life, turned up higher and higher and higher. You know, many of us have spent our lives turning the light down, you know, turning it down because we're afraid people will look at us and we might be looked to be as a zealot and a religious flake. Well, here's what I say, people, and I've said this publicly. You ask God to turn that pilot light all the way up and then pull the controls off. I want to stay in a full lit position for the rest of my life. I want to serve God the way God has called me to serve him. And I want the same for you. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to understand that. You have everything within you that you need to serve God and to advance the kingdom of God. I want you to understand this. Um, and, And so God is expecting us to have multiple applications in which we continue to say, Lord, I continue to need to be filled. Uh, And Paul spoke about this, um, uh, about the fact that the church has that obligation. He spoke about that uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and you'll see this, you'll see this, verse, uh, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. And he's speaking to the church. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't live your life in a careless, reckless way, the way the world does, but instead ask God to fill you with the Spirit. Study His Word, read the Scriptures, pray to God, and as you do that, the Spirit will speak to you and re-enervate you in such a powerful way. Um, and so the Spirit gives uh, the, the various fruit. That's the other role that the Spirit has. And there's so much to this subject. This is why, really, uh, uh, we can't just cover this in one session. It requires multiple applications of studying this. If you would turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse uh, 16, Galatians 5, 16. Uh, I want you to read this. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Let's stop with that. Living by the Spirit means that you will be kept righteous. You will be kept away from, from the carnal aspect of our life. When you live by the Spirit, when you let the Spirit have sway in your life and, and control you, look also as you, as you see those verses in Galatians chapter 5, look also what it says, when you live by the Spirit, what happens to you? Uh, verse 22, because there is fruit of the Spirit, meaning what? Meaning as the Spirit takes up residence in your heart, as you allow the, the Spirit to have sway in your heart, control your heart, as you begin to study the Word and read the Word and, and pray on a regular basis, uh, what happens next? Well, what happens is that the Spirit gives off fruit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, in verse 22 here, and this is Galatians chapter 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
That's a sermon right there in those verses. Can you imagine if you even had two or three of those qualities that were exhibited in our lives? And the Spirit has given it all to you. You have those qualities within your heart. Now it's a question of you giving sway to the Spirit and asking God to have those qualities come out. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And I find no indication that, that God only gives some of the fruit. I believe that the Holy Spirit, once he takes up residence, that all of the fruit that you've just seen there can be evidenced in our lives if we give sway to, to God and understand that carefully. Against such things there is no law. Well, that's for sure. And so you see the power, the innervating power of the Holy Spirit. This is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. God took care that once Jesus Christ, his son, came to this world and died on the cross, and that we had the authority through Jesus Christ to be saved forever, to become sons of God, that we, he would leave a presence with us forever. That presence is the Holy Spirit. That presence seals you and protects you and leads you and guides you and yes, even deposits his fruit within your heart. All of these qualities of fruit that we talked about. It is because of the Holy Spirit uh, that, the God, that God himself has sent. So the Holy Spirit is a personage. I've proven to you. He has a will. He has an intelligence. He prays for you. He deposits fruit in your heart. He seals you. He protects you. He guides you. All of this is done through the Holy Spirit. And that is why whenever we come to pray, we ask God to seal it, seal it within his wisdom. And the sealing aspect of that is, is the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, God has enabled Christians to live lives that are obedient to God. That is how we're able to be obedient to God. We could never do it with our own flesh. We could never really come to salvation. But it is in the pre-conversion, the conversion aspect, and finally in the post-conversion aspect of the Holy Spirit, ongoing, every day, hour by hour, we're drawn to God. Uh, and I'm closing this sermon, I'm closing it with the verse of, of Romans chapter 8, 14, which says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You are all, uh, all of you, the sons of God. And so this message is meant to open your awareness, to recognize what God has done for us. The ever-present uh, presence of the Holy Spirit abiding by us and filling us and empowering us. And this is the first part of what will be two more parts to continue to ask God to teach us about the role of the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the teaching that you've given us. I thank you, Lord, for, for your gifts to this world. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who has sealed us, Lord, and has placed us in your hand that no power or principality can ever take us out. And so, Father, I ask you that as we bow before your throne, you continue to empower us and refill us every day, Lord, that we are alive with the Holy Spirit, that we are continued to draw to you and get closer to you uh, with an ever-increasing love for you and everything that you do. Father, protect our people and let this resonate. Let this lesson resonate in their hearts uh, for the rest of this week, Father, as we continue to study your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church. We love you.